Hi, Stokers. Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. In our last episode, you heard about the horrific dog mauling of Diane Whipple and how the dog's owner, Marjorie Noller, told police the dogs had never been violent before. You also heard about Paul Schneider's Aryan Brotherhood plot to breed dogs for the drug cartel. Today, we're going to hear how all of these worlds collided in tragedy. When we left off, Robert and Marjorie had just met Paul through the course of another case and instantly bonded. episode contains disturbing depictions of an animal attack, references to animal abuse, and mention of death of animals. Please use your discretion when listening. Now, at first, the relationship between Noel and Noller and Schneider was just one of mutual benefits. Noel and Noller filed 21 lawsuits within a year against the California Department of Corrections. They would meet often in person and write letters back and forth. Noel ended up supplying Schneider with several locations of inmates who were targets of the Aryan Brotherhood, and they did end up being killed. But over the next few years, their relationship took a very strange turn. Police started noticing that the attorneys visited Pelican Bay way more often than normal. In their letters, they started to refer to themselves as, quote, the triad. Marjorie and Robert appeared to believe that they could spiritually inhabit Paul's body. I can't like this too much. It's too much. There's a lot. There's There's just a lot in this. Wow. All three of them were fascinated with Arthurian legend, and the two lawyers referred to Paul as an ancient hero. So Paul, you know, enlisted them to help get the dogs away from Janet. Marjorie and Robert would call and threaten Janet, telling her that they were going to sue her and have her entire farm taken away. They showed up and took pictures of the dogs chained up and sent them to Paul, who was growing more anxious and angry about the entire situation. He really needed those dogs. He had already set up plans with buyers who were involved in the Mexican drug cartel. And these were buyers, you know, you do not want to disappoint. And he had arranged to sell the puppies for $1,000 each. Now, Janet is in a really tough situation. She was determined to keep her dogs. She loves Bane and Isis. Those are her babies. She is not sold on Hera and Fury, who she believes are causing lots of problems. Sure. But it's sort of an all or nothing deal. She doesn't really know what to do. And things were taking a bad turn at the farm. All of the dogs were becoming more aggressive and territorial. Hera broke out of her pen and killed Janet's daughter's cat. Mm. And the daughter, Daisy, ended up becoming really afraid of the dogs after this. So then Janet has the extra complication of her daughter is scared of the dogs. Yeah. yeah. I feel so bad for her. She's so out of her element. She cares about the dogs. Yes. She's getting these constant harassing phone calls from Brenda Story and Marjorie. Yeah. They're threatening her entire livelihood, her farm. She already doesn't have a lot of money. It's uh, a big, tough situation. Now, Harriet and Fury started killing sheep on Janet's farm and Bang killed a rooster. In all, Harriet killed 12 sheep. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And... You know, in dogs, there is something called a prey drive, where when they start to go after prey, yeah. like, that's all they can see. They're na- it's natural. It's yeah. not their fault. Yeah. But definitely, this is happening. And Janet's growing extremely overwhelmed with the entire situation. She ultimately blames Hera and Fury, who she always said were the aggressors. And even when Bane killed the rooster, she really didn't think it was his fault. She found Bane with the rooster in his mouth, but she kind of forced herself to believe that Hira had probably killed the rooster and Bane was yeah. carrying the rooster in his mouth. In fact, she thought that he was trying to help the rooster. 
Now, she's still trying to make this work. She's taking care of Isis's puppies at this point. She really did not want to lose her dogs. So she keeps buying fencing materials, building dog houses and pens and chains, trying to keep the dogs under control. She's getting these calls from Marjorie. She even enlists the help of a pro bono lawyer who tells her, look, you're shelling out all this money. Right. You don't know how to take care of these dogs. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed. You're losing your sheep. They're threatening you and your farm. Just let the dogs go. And Janet tells Marjorie, you know, you don't even want these dogs. These dogs are out of control. She said that something was not right about Hira and even said that the dogs should be shot. Wow. Marjorie told her that she understood everything about the dogs and that they just needed proper training. And finally, Janet relented and told Marjorie that she could take the dogs. And this ended up being another ordeal because Marjorie didn't show up when she was supposed to and tried to force Janet to transport the dogs herself. And she responded by saying that she was going to charge them a kennel fee. Which good for Janet. Yeah. Now, before they took the dogs, they enlisted a vet to come check them out and tell them what vaccinations needed to be done. The vet sent them an official letter stating that the dogs were a liability. They ignored this and paid him to vaccinate the dogs. When they did show up to take the dogs, they brought crates that were too small. Eventually, though, they finally came and took the dogs. Janet was devastated, but also relieved. That bittersweet, right? Again, she urged Marjorie to listen to her. These dogs were dangerous. She had seen this. Now, the dogs all had homes lined up. A dog trainer was hired to transport six of the dogs to LA, where they were to be sold to members of the drug cartel. The other two were going to another buyer who was also involved in the drug cartel, but she only wanted to take one at a time. So in the meantime, Hera went to live with Robert and Marjorie, who at this point were fully wrapped up with Paul Schneider. What had started between Paul and Robert and Marjorie as just a mutually beneficial relationship had eventually started to take a sexual turn. This started with little hints and letters about Paul watching Marjorie and Robert engage in sexual acts. And when he kind of responded positively... This led to more and more and more. They would write detailed descriptions of potential threesomes. Marjorie and Robert would take pictures of themselves having sex and send them to Paul. And that's like just, I've always thought that like the the mail that comes into prison like is read through and and looked at. So so here's the thing. are, Are people seeing these pictures? Here's the thing. Because they are his lawyers. It doesn't get searched. A lot of their communication (gasps) stays private because of attorney-client privilege. That makes sense. But, oh, my God, I just thought about this, like, poor person who, like, their job is to read the incoming mail and they open it and they... Well, talking about poor people that are unfortunately involved in this, there's a little detail that I left out of the script that's going to be news to you, Melanie. Oh, gosh. This wasn't just a letter-writing relationship. They also would go visit Paul a lot. And because they were his attorneys, they were put in a private room. Now, it's a maximum security. They're still separated by plexiglass, but this is a private room. No. At one point after a visit... The room, quote, had to be hosed down. What? <laughs> no. <So>. No. No. <laughs> Sorry no. to everybody that just oh, heard that. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Now, this started between the three of them, and this was this ongoing sexual thing between all of them, but Marjorie started really falling for Paul, and she started to write her own letters to him separate from Robert, and she and Paul even started learning French so that they could write letters privately where Robert could not discover what they were saying to each other. Wow, that's a, I mean, that's a commitment to this uh, relationship here, learning a new language. It really is. I mean, Paul probably doesn't have much better to do except for toilet. 
water yeah, art, toilet water but. paint so he can get like the french dictionary from the prison library but yeah. like the fact that marjorie is a lawyer she's and, got like 21 like, lawsuits going on at a time like, and she's still finding the time to learn french so she's yeah. really really wrapped up in paul wow now they're so intrinsically involved with paul that when he asked them to help with this dog breeding drug cartel scheme they are at this point doing whatever he says and right you have to hand it to paul he likely is manipulating this entire situation yes. i don't know if he's sexually interested in robert and marjorie or not <laughs> but this is a great yep. relationship for him right so after they bring Hera home, Robert and Marjorie really fell in love with her. And that wasn't exactly supposed to happen because Hera is promised to somebody else. Yeah. But it just happened. They would walk her off a leash. Don't do that. A 100-pound dog who you know has been bred yep. for fighting and... Yep. Don't do it. Raised on this farm... No. Oh, yep. my gosh. They started to view her as their baby. And a few months later, Paul got word that Bane was being mistreated by members of the drug cartel. So he sent Marjorie and Robert to get him, and he joined them at their apartment. So they're sending all of these sexual triad letters this whole time. And they're also sending letters about Bane and Hera and photos to Paul because he wants to know everything about the dogs. And some of those letters included sexual connotations and pictures of Marjorie posed naked with the dogs. Marjorie wrote in-depth letters about her sexual fantasies and her dreams, including one where she was on a throne in battle attire, having sex with both a king, Robert, and a prince, Paul. And she wrote in detail about, quote, Licking the prince's shaft. So these letters are extremely detailed and pornographic. No. Paul would refer to Marjorie as his, quote, tigress. Oh, God. And he also started drawing pictures based on Marjorie's descriptions in her letters, including one called, quote, family of three with the three of them and Bane and Hera. And Robert would write fantasies to Paul about Marjorie engaging in sex acts with Hera and Bane. Oh, my goodness. Now, we don't know whether there was any kind of bestiality, sexual abuse of the dogs going on, or whether this was all just fantasy. I think there was at some point an escalation of fantasy. So hopefully that was all that that was. Oh, my word. But there's a lot of speculation around this case about bestiality being involved. Either way, the dogs had endured certainly abuse and unfortunate situations just throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And they're also 100-pound dogs, two of them in an apartment. Right. Which is not good either. In another really, really odd turn to this case, Robert and Marjorie decided to legally adopt Paul. (laughs) which was finalized three days after the attack on Diane Whipple. And they were also actively lobbying about how badly prisoners at Pelican Bay were being treated and working toward pushing for him to be released, which was never going to happen given his history. Oh, my gosh. As far as Marjorie and Robert were concerned, the dogs were a great addition to their home. They knew that Bane would leave eventually because, again, he was promised to someone else, but they were hoping at this point to keep Hera. And especially after they were told that she she couldn't breed due to medical reasons. They used money from Paul's, quote, dog o war fund for vet bills. Which is what he was calling his breeding ring. Yeah. They were thrilled to have Hira. But not everybody was thrilled with this arrangement because almost immediately the dogs started causing trouble in the neighborhood. At this point, Bane weighed upwards of 120 pounds and Hira weighed upward of 100. They were big, fierce, and they were starting to take control everywhere. A dog walker in the neighborhood was walking a dog on a leash when they came across Marjorie and Hira. 
Hera attacked the dog who ended up with a seven-inch cut and Marjorie acted unconcerned. A neighbor named David Moser was trying to get past Marjorie into the elevator when Hera bit him on the buttocks. He turned to Robert and Marjorie and said, your dog just bit me. To which Robert responded, quote, hmm, interesting. Another neighbor, Neil Burdock, was walking his sheepdog when Hera lunged at him with so much force that she pulled Marjorie to the ground and dragged her over to the sheepdog who she bit. And remember that Marjorie said to authorities, my dog has never done anything like this before. And that's what she told Neil Burdock after this attack, too. She yeah. Says, oh, so my she's, dog has never done anything like this before. Like, oh, the, yeah, there, there's no history of any sort of violence, right? Like, oh, my gosh. This is multiple, multiple different people. Oh, my gosh. And all investigators end up gathering 40 people. 40 for zero? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In the midst of breaking up one of these dog fights, Robert had part of his finger bitten off and he had to go have it surgically reattached. Now, Robert really thought the government was after him because of his lawsuits against the Department of Corrections. And he believed that this particular dogfight was the work of, quote, a special agent from the government deliberately coming after him. And it wasn't just dogs. Bain once lunged at a six-year-old boy and had to be physically restrained to keep him away from him. The dogs also once lunged at a pregnant woman's belly. Every time they started to go after people, it required full physical force to stop them. And Marjorie seemed to have no control over the dogs, especially over Bane. A dog trainer once saw them and tried to intervene and offer tips. And he told them that if they didn't stop this behavior, it was going to escalate, but they dismissed his concerns. Marjorie and Robert honestly didn't seem bothered or worried about the dog's behavior. They seemed to find it funny. They would laugh when people seemed afraid of the dogs, and they would write letters to Paul about it, bragging about how fierce the dogs were, sending pictures, talking about how people were afraid of the dogs, and they were all a good laugh about it. They once even wrote about how, quote, a timorous little mousy blonde in the building was scared of Bane. And they later admitted on the stand that that was in reference to Diane Whipple. Diane was growing terrified of the dogs. All of the neighbors were. But some of them that were more prone to being scared of dogs or it affected them differently. Diane told Sharon all the time about how they scared her. She talked about this a lot. And just a few weeks before the attack, the dogs bit her. But there was no puncture wound. She was furious. Sharon calmed her down. You know, it was kind of a minor thing. And just like all of these people had kind of let it go because you talk yourself out of things. You know, you think that things are not a big deal. The entire neighborhood was scared of Hera and Bane, but nobody wanted to report anything for a lot of reasons. That, you just talk yourself out of it. Yep. The fact that Marjorie and Robert were known to sue everybody. Right, right. So they're scared of lawsuits. Like, even if you even if you were going to report it, the fact that the owners of these dogs have that power is another step to prevent you from doing that, right? Exactly. Like, that's just another added layer. Exactly. And then there's just the bystander effect. You know, you think... Yep this is a one-off or you think somebody else is going to report. Take care of it, right. It just, that's human nature. And then in January, the fatal attack occurred. And after Diane's death, there was a big uproar, especially among animal rights activists. Bain was immediately put to sleep, but Hira's fate was up in the air. There were several questions that needed to be answered. Were both dogs involved in the attack? Could the attack have been prevented? Did Marjorie and Robert hold responsibility for the attack? It was going to be an unusual case, but the police and the DA did not want this treated as just an accident. And of course, an autopsy was conducted. Diane's injuries included more than 70 wounds. There was a five-inch laceration to the lower neck and the jugular vein, a two and a quarter inch laceration to the carotid artery, 
a deep one and a half inch laceration, several scratches on her neck, and a crushed larynx. The autopsy could not conclude if these injuries were from one dog or two. An animal rights activist rushed to save Hira. She was scheduled for a hearing to determine whether or not she was involved in the attack. And the animal control office where she was being held received pleas and death threats and an outreach of people wanting to adopt her. While all of that was happening, the DA, Terrence Hallahan, had to decide if they could prosecute Marjorie and Robert for anything. At this point, they don't know everything we know about Paul Schneider, right. the drug cartel, right. the dog breeding. All they know is what Marjorie and Robert told them, which is that this was the dogs had never been violent. They're just looking at the attack. Now, they tossed around the idea of involuntary manslaughter at first, and I think that was really what they were leaning towards. The DA told Robert and Marjorie to get a lawyer and not to talk to the police, but Robert decided to go on the offensive. He wrote a letter to the DA within a week of the attack, but sent a copy of the letter to the San Francisco newsroom. Mm. And in this letter, Robert seemed to kind of indicate that Diane might be responsible for the attack, suggesting that she wore a perfume that had pheromones, or possibly that she was on steroids triggering the attack. Huh. He also said in the letters that the dogs weren't even his. They belonged to Paul Schneider and Dale Bretches. And this was the first that the DA heard about this. Yeah. You know, Paul Schneider's being monitored. Yeah, they know who he is. But it's not like every police officer or even the DA knows. Right. It's not like that. These are completely yeah. separate entities. Totally. So, so now you're just revealing that information yourself, right? Exactly. Like, and mm. now this made them take the case even more seriously. And if they had never brought that up to the DA, he might not have ever even known about it because, again, there would be no reason for him to even look at that. Yep. So as they start investigating, that's when it became apparent that there was so much more to this case. That's when they start talking to all these neighbors. So you have Marjorie and Robert saying, no, we've never had any problems. And the more than 40 neighbors coming forward with stories of attacks or near attacks, several dogs that have actual wounds that have gone and been treated and had surgeries and... yeah. Yeah. Been taken care of and people saying the dogs either nicked them or tried to attack them. Hira's hearing was held on February 13th, 2001. And experts testified that it was most likely that both dogs were involved in the attack. First of all, given Hira's violence in the past, the fact that several of those incidents, many of those incidents were instigated by Hira... And also, the clothes were not tugged on, as Marjorie had indicated. They were ripped apart. And a dog can't really rip apart someone's clothes without also biting the person. Right, right. Bloody clothes were found in Hira's feces. I mean, it just seems very likely... And the hearing attracted a lot of press coverage, death threats, media circus. You have people who are saying, all dogs are horrible. These dogs need to be destroyed. Dogs are dangerous. Right. You know, you have people saying, no, here's innocent. You have people saying, it's not the dog's fault. You have people saying, it is the dog's fault. It's not their owner's fault. There's right. a lot. Right. The decision came down that Hero was involved. She was ordered to be destroyed. And Robert and Marjorie appealed, but ultimately lost the case. Now, they did keep Hira alive until after Robert and Marjorie's trial. So then there's that there's that criminal side for Robert and Marjorie. The DA felt that these two definitely bore responsibility, but prosecuting it was going to be hard. There haven't actually been many cases where the dog owner was prosecuted. And here are some cases from dogbitelaw.com. In Kansas in 1997, Sabine Davidson owned three Rottweilers, but didn't know how to train them. They chased two young boys up a tree, and the younger boy came down to find the dogs and was killed. And she was prosecuted for second-degree murder and found guilty. In 2000, in Indiana, a census worker was killed by a pack of 18 dogs. The owners pled guilty to criminal recklessness. 
In 2001, a mother was found guilty of child endangerment when her son was killed by a dog in a park in St. Louis. In 2001, in Wyoming, a couple was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter, that they had abused and mistreated their dog and a toddler got into their yard and was killed. In Ohio, a man ordered his dog to maul his wife and he was found guilty of murder. So murder charges were very rare and even involuntary manslaughter usually was tied in with the abuse. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. Sharon Smith felt that the police and the DA weren't moving with enough urgency. She actually hired her own lawyer to kind of push for more action. He asked her what her goal was. Does she want a civil case? Does she want to push for criminal charges? He told her that she would not qualify to sue for wrongful death because same-sex partners at this time did not fall under that law. She said, you know, I don't really care. I want you to push for higher charges. But that also didn't really ring okay with her. Right. So she's like, let's focus on this push for the higher charges. But this really prompted her to feel that this was wrong and to want to push for changes in that direction as well. Because she was like, this is my partner. Right. You shouldn't tell me that I don't qualify for wrongful death. That wasn't even on her radar. But to hear that she didn't qualify was kind of a punch in the gut. Yeah. Now, ultimately, the DA felt strongly that they needed to pursue murder charges with this case. They had enough reason to believe that Robert and Marjorie had acted so irresponsibly that they were responsible for this attack. The DA first appointed Kim Guilfoyle to the case. And do you know who that is? (laughs) I think if you saw her, you would know because that's Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend. Yeah. But... He shifted that to ADA Jim Hammer, who had more experience. Paul Schneider was interviewed by the San Francisco Chronicle and, quote, apologized for the tragic accident, but said that everything with the dogs was above board. Not really above board because you can't actually be doing that, but okay. Yep. Yeah. Marjorie and Robert made several media appearances, and they were not very sympathetic. Yep. They were not... Not received well. (laughs) They did not do themselves any favors. They appeared on Good Morning America, and they just seemed completely lacking in remorse. They didn't care. Marjorie said on that appearance that she would not consider what happened an attack. Okay. And that she did everything humanly possible to stop it. Mm, Okay. Okay. Uh, Mm. I don't know what else you would possibly call it. Uh, Right. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) As the police gathered evidence, there was some level of concern with many of the letters between Marjorie and Robert and Paul Schneider falling under attorney-client privilege. But a judge allowed that most of the letters could be read by police and that they didn't qualify under that privilege. And that's when all of the sexual evidence was discovered. And when that hit the public, all hell broke loose. Oh, I I can imagine. You can imagine the headlines. This is the biggest media circus of all time. Right. People talking about bestiality, this sexual triad, drug cartel. Arthurian legend. There's so much here. So much. But ultimately, all of the sexual letters and the sex-related information was barred from the trial. It really didn't have direct bearing on the case, and a judge ruled that it would be prejudiciary. I mean, I get that. That totally makes sense to me. Paul himself was also blocked from testifying. He was considered too dangerous to bring into a courtroom after the stabbing of the defense attorney in the earlier trial. And I totally get that. The grand jury had to decide whether or not Marjorie could be indicted for second-degree murder. Now, second-degree murder didn't have to involve ill will, just that they put anybody in the vicinity in danger of grave bodily harm. 
And this really does become crucial to this case because I don't think a single person looking at this case would say that they hadn't acted irresponsibly. Right. The question is, could they have known that this was actually possible? Does them knowing that their dogs are dangerous give them responsibility? Right. Can that qualify for second-degree murder? Did they know that they were putting people in grave bodily harm or not? And that is ultimately what they would have to prove. Yeah. They heard evidence about the injuries, about neighbors being intimidated by the dogs, about the near misses on so many attacks and how they would, you know, these dogs would lunge and that the neighbors were praying that they wouldn't get free and that several of them even feared for their lives. Marjorie would scream over people in court and called Kim Guilfoyle a liar. And she also testified on her behalf at the grand jury trial, which is highly unusual. Yeah, to have someone testify for themselves at the grand jury trial is extremely unusual. At one point, she had a, quote, panic attack and couldn't move. And she had to be removed from the courtroom. That gave me Candace Michelle Mossler. McDonald, McD- Michelle McDonald oh, vibes. That too, that That's too. what that gave me. Yes. Michelle McDonald. And I was going to say Candace Mossler. I remember she would have these like fits of attacks whenever they would talk oh, about her yes. having sex with her nephew. Yes, yes, yes. Now, Marjorie and Robert insisted that they could not have prevented the attack and that Bane and Hera were not dangerous And that Marjorie was basically a hero for her part. And the grand jury determined that Marjorie could be indicted for second-degree murder and that Robert could be indicted for involuntary manslaughter. Now, the trial was set to begin in January of 2002, about a year after the attack. Marjorie faced a potential of 15 years to life if found guilty of second-degree murder. Robert could face up to four years for involuntary manslaughter with a potential of parole after a year. In the trial, Marjorie once again insisted, nobody was scared of my dogs. My dogs didn't ever cause any problems. She said that, you know, oh, other dogs were at fault for these incidents. Mm. Or people are getting them mixed up with other dogs. Sure, 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 sure. 40 people got mixed up with other dogs. Okay. Marjorie told her version of what happened, that Bane had gotten out and immediately started to, quote, react negatively to Diane, who she says, just stood staring at her from her open doorway. Okay. (laughs) Yes. But Marjorie also had told Paul's sister that there was some sort of altercation between them. Okay. Like a verbal argument between Diane and her. Okay. Marjorie said that she used her body to shield Diane from the attack and that she did everything in her ability to restrain the dogs. She said that Diane was quote, silent, and didn't seem afraid during the attack, despite the fact that people heard their Burkmeyer yeah. heard her screaming. Yeah, okay. She said that Bane didn't even seem aggressive, that it seemed like he was playing. Hmm. 77 wounds. Yeah. Okay. She also said that Diane hit her in a panic, and that's when Bane really started heavily attacking. And she said on the stand that she had never lost control of the dogs. I'm not sure why she thought that that would do her any favors to say. Right, right. And she said that when she was being dragged down the hallway, that wasn't her losing control of the dogs. Oh, okay. Cool. It's almost like her, like she wants so badly to to be viewed as she had control and that she wasn't you know, losing yeah. control of the dogs. Right. But you're not even thinking about the fact that if that were true, that's worse then for that you. That means that you sat there with your dog on the leash. Yeah. Eating someone alive. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. Prosecutors pointed out that Marjorie never called 911 or shouted for help. In fact, she stepped over Diane's body to look for her keys after the attack rather than call someone for help. They also brought in more than 30 people to testify about how dangerous the dogs were, including Sharon Smith, who said that Diane was so scared of the dogs that she would use her, like she would use Sharon as a human shield against them. And Robert insisted that this was all not true, that Diane liked his dogs and that she was never bitten. He said this was all a lie. 
But he did admit that the, quote, mousy blonde in that letter that they had written was Diane. And why would he even admit that? He right. Could have said so he's that was saying anybody. like, right. He's like, yes, yes, yes. We wrote about this mousy blonde who's afraid of our dogs. But even though it was Diane, she wasn't afraid of the dogs. Right. Like right. he's not making any sense. No, I hate. It's so interesting to kind of get in their head, and we'll talk more about them later. Yeah. Marjorie's lawyer, Nedra Ruiz, was very dramatic. She physically reenacted what had happened, showing how Marjorie was a hero trying to protect Diane. And at one point, she told Sharon Smith, quote, if you had let Diane make a complaint to the police, she might be alive. Oof. Fuck you, Nedra Ruiz. I mean, needless to say, people did not like that. The jury did not like that. Nobody would like you saying that to the spouse of the victim. What on earth? Oh, my God. Ruiz questioned why nobody reported the dogs if they were so afraid of them. And at one point, Ruiz kicked the jury box She got so animated in her testimony that she kicked the jury box. I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure, again, why she would think that was a good idea. But Mm -hmm. she was well known for her theatrics and her over-the-top style. Right. Now, ultimately, this case would come down to whether the jury could feel any sympathy toward Marjorie, whether they believed that she knew that the dogs were dangerous, or if she really believed that they weren't. You know, how responsible are you for keeping people safe from them? Yeah. The jury returned a verdict. Marjorie was found guilty of second-degree murder. Robert was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And this marked the first time in California history that this happened where a dog owner was convicted of murder in a dog mauling case. But the case wasn't over. The sentencing still needed to happen. And at the sentencing hearing, Sharon Smith and Diane's mother gave victim impact statements. Very emotional. Judge James Warren verbally scolded Marjorie, saying, you knew these dogs were dangerous. You didn't do what you needed to do to keep people safe. He asked her to give an apology to Sharon Smith, and she just sat there. She refused <sighs> to give an apology. Oh, my God. That, but then he did something shocking. He said that Marjorie couldn't have known with certainty that that day anything dangerous would happen, and therefore she wasn't guilty of murder. So he threw out the murder conviction and reduced the charge to manslaughter. He said that because there was no malice aforethought involved, the murder charge was wrong. And he sentenced her to four years max with parole eligibility after just 14 months. In September of 2003, Robert was released on parole. On January 1st, 2004, Marjorie was released on parole. However, while Marjorie was serving her sentence, her case was being appealed. And eventually, it went to the Supreme Court. And they ruled that the basis for overturning the conviction was wrong. She didn't have to know the dog was likely to kill, just that they were potentially lethal. And this could be, quote, conscious disregard of the danger to human life. So the case now fell to Judge Charlotte Woolard. And she came down hard on Marjorie. On September 22nd, 2008, Marjorie's second degree murder charge was reinstated and she was sentenced to 15 years to life. Marjorie was up for parole in 2019. Largely because of her lack of remorse, this was denied and she is still in prison. This case in part led to two major legal changes. The first was the result of Sharon Smith. She became a gay rights activist and helped push for a change in the law that would allow same-sex partners to sue for wrongful death. And on August 9th, 2001, she became the first same-sex partner to be recognized as a surviving spouse in a wrongful death case. And that's according to the American Bar Organization. The second was that a bill was passed that held caretakers of animals, not just owners, criminally responsible for their actions. And that is our case. So let's get into our thoughts on it. Yes. Yes. First of all, 
the triad (laughs) and everything that even remotely touches that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like... I feel like I need to take a shower when I think about it. Oh my gosh. I cannot. Like, there's just so much... It is so cringy. That is so strange and cringe and like... It's so cringe. Not, I mean, we're not here to kink shame people that are into like Arthurian legend and yeah, like... that's whatever. The, you know, all of those things. But like, you're the lawyers. Yes. This that's, is that like... It's so... And just like sending pictures and like the, the naked posing with the dogs and oh my just gosh. like all of these really gross things happened between really the triad. Gross. If you like reading true crime novels, read Red Zone. There is a lot. I think Aphrodite Jones read a lot of these letters. And oh my gosh. There's a lot in the oh book. So <laughs> she did your favor. She didn't include a lot of the excerpts, but she gives oh God. some good descriptions in there. Oh so God. Oh you know, I would also like to talk about just the dog element. This is a different kind of case yeah. for us. Yeah. I do believe, even being somebody who has had a fear of dogs for most of my life and has mm-hmm. kind of recently come out of that, really, sure. um, because of my beautiful niece and nephew dog that are the cutest, yes, sweetest. Yes, 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 You know, there's it, should there be a criminal responsibility of dog owners, if you're going to own a dog, you have to do it responsibly, like right. a gun or anything else. I mean, right. if you knew that your dogs are dangerous, yes, yes, yeah. you're responsible. There were just so many steps like along the way that they could have taken. You have a vet saying that they're a liability. You have a dog behavior specialist saying like, you need to get them trained or else it's going to get to a point of no return where you've missed the window. And along with all the people who are obviously afraid of them and everything, there are just so many opportunities that they had. And being lawyers, they had the financial means to get their dogs trained and get them what they needed. Absolutely. They also had these two extremely large dogs in an apartment in San Francisco. So like, I don't know how good the environment... What You know what I mean? Like there were just so many different things that they could have done that they chose not to do. And I think that they are held criminally responsible. I I don't know if a dog who really has never been violent, right? If this is a if something happens and a dog hurts somebody for the first time, there had been no indicators. Then does that owner also hold criminal response? Like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know, that's I don't so know. different. And and I think right. that really gets into some stuff that we're just not qualified to say. Yes. But it's just something I, to think about, right? It like it's just to in think my... about. You know, I don't believe that dogs are inherently bad. No. And it's always so interesting to me when I do hear this where it's like, oh, this is the first time the dog has ever done this. They were just the sweetest dog and then they yeah. turned. Yeah. A part of me feels a little skeptical when I hear that. Sure. I don't know. Maybe you didn't know your dog's history. Like, did you adopt that dog? Did they seem like the sweetest dog? I think if you don't have the dog from a young age, there's just so much that you don't know. Yeah. Those are things to consider. I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it's, if you're responsible, if it's out of nowhere. Right. That's different. I don't know. I think that that is more of a comprehensive, you know, like you have to have some common sense yep especially around children and dogs and, and yeah like um like walking things. your walking your dog on a leash is exactly that's a very good thing to do yes just just do that right and then obviously this is such a different case because they had every indicator in the world yes yes also want to talk about paul schneider for a second what oh, oh my goodness what a bad dude I feel like he was just going for the record of like, how many things can I do to like make me an even worse person? He just doesn't even seem real. Like no. he seems like a caricature, like, like a fictional villain. Number one. Yes. He's like, yeah. He's like, I've, I'm in prison for robberies, but I'm also then going to like 
shank people. I'm going to be like in this racist gang. I'm going to be part of many racist gangs. I'm going to be doing like deals with the drug cartel. I'm going to, you know, like it just keeps going and going and going. And honestly, as someone who like doesn't like to be part of many things at once, it sounds exhausting to me to be like, to be as interested in that many different things. A lot. And he's got his toilet water art going on. I so mean, he's got a lot and learning French. And he's reading Dog Fancy. I mean, come, like, is so he much. using... I want to know if he used Dog Fancy to uh, create the toilet paint. I also <laughs> like, wanted to know that. Like, I bet he did. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to get into Marjorie and Robert a little yes. bit. And why they behaved so strangely. I think it's possible that they've got some issues, but... I really think that they just thought they were untouchable. Yeah. And I think it never occurred to them yeah. that they were going to get prosecuted for this, that they were going to be found guilty for this. Yeah. I think they just thought they could talk their way out of it. And like the the scene in the elevator with the neighbor where the neighbor says, hey, your dog just bit me. And Robert responds, hmm, interesting. Are you even a person? I don't like what, what like, who are you that you're so detached from there's like a detachment from reality here, right? Like, oh, I I I'm the hero. I put my body in between like but 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 there's so, I I don't know. They just don't seem like they have all their marbles together, you know. Yeah, I don't know. And just the absolute lack of sympathy, which is really the last thing that I want to talk about is just obviously how Oh my gosh badly I feel for Diane and her family. Yes. It is just And she was scared absolutely like, devastating. She she was scared of them and she told people about this, right? Like that just the fact that she had negative experiences leading up to this makes it somehow worse to me. Yes. And Ugh. like the saddest part of this to me is that she stayed alive for an hour after her surgery to see Sharon. And like, to me that it's the summation of their beautiful relationship that they did get to have this goodbye. And I'm like, I'm sure that fueled Sharon's activism for, for the future, but I am just devastated for Diane. Obviously there's so much sensationalism around this case because there's so many elements that are very shocking, but I just don't want Diane to get lost in this because she was just this person with so much life so much ahead of her. She had everything going for her. She was a year younger than me. I, that's and just crazy. no fault of her own at no. all. No. And her life was just taken from her in an instant. And the fact that they tried to they tried to blame her, that they tried to like that Robert said that she wore a per- fuck that. Like there's no we don't no. I don't I just don't understand people that do that. I don't I don't like that at all. But I, my heart really goes out to the Whipple family and to Sharon and to anybody who was affected by the loss of Diane, all the students, the coworkers of hers, like she, Mm. she had so many people in her circle, in her life, 600 people came out to her memorial. Like she was well-loved and I feel very badly for all of those people. Absolutely. So that is the case of Diane Whipple's death. Diane Whipple's, rightfully, I will say, murder. Yep. And we would love to hear your thoughts on the case. You know, find us at Body Parts Pod on social media and tell us what you think about this one. And now it's time for self-care and prepare. So for my self-care tip, it's, uh, it's actually two part and it comes with a story. Okay. <laughs> so I think for my birthday or maybe for Mother's Day, I'm not sure. It was it was the first time my aunt had come to me, Ember, and she brought me this bag of amazing goodies, soap savers, and this really cool mask thing that can like microwave and all kinds of cool stuff. And amongst it was a peelable mask. And she was talking to me about how cool it was because you know, you don't have to wash out the mask and it's a whole ordeal. We use the Aztec clay mask and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's gunky and yes. shower and everywhere. You know, it's like yes. it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all up in your hair. And I've curly it's hair everywhere. and I do a lot of taking care of my hair. And yes. so it's kind of hard to find the time to do it. So I was like all about this peelable mask. I'm like, okay. I know I have very sensitive skin. Yes. This is something I know about myself. So I test it out. It seems okay. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. 
put on the peelable mask. Okay. There's a lovely, really funny picture of me because this mask is black. <laughs> and I don't know. My husband just thought it was hilarious. And so he snapped a picture of me. It is currently Melanie's husband's background on yeah. his phone. If y'all wanted to know like how tight the three of us were, like when I say that I do the podcast with my best friends, like I actually really mean that to the point of where like... My husband's screensaver on his phone, his lock screen, is the photo of Cassie in this peelable mask. And it is so good. And like, I love that that's his picture because if anybody sees it, he has to explain like what's going on here. The amount of strangers that have seen me at my worst now. Oh my gosh. So it's so funny. I have the mask on. I'm like glaring at my husband. He's taking a picture. He's laughing. <laughs> He's like, oh my gosh, you're in blackface. Like all the <laughs> things, right? Yeah, He's so sending the, the photo to you guys. Everyone in the yes. group text is laughing about it. I wear the mask. I go to peel it off. And almost immediately, <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. No. <laughs> I have made a huge mistake. I don't know if this no. is a normal person thing or uh, me having sensitive skin thing, but when I pull up a Band-Aid, my skin is like super red, puffy. It hurts worse than anything in the world. Okay. I don't know. Do you have that? I mean, I have pretty sensitive skin and sometimes Band-Aids will give me a thing. Like, I also have to be really careful about what I put on my face. So I don't know that I'm the right person. I don't have the okay. normal skin scale. Gotcha. But, <laughs> but you have the, so you have the Band-Aid yeah, experience. Yeah. I'm like, it's yep. terrible. It so itches. that is what this felt like. Like, big puffy red. I'm peeling it off. I'm just like, I'm like I, I can't even get this off. Like, oh. I'm like, do I just rip off the Band-Aid? Oh, or like, God. do I like, so I like, do you I do scrunch it, it took forever. I did it slow. I mean, I know that makes it worse, but I was crying like my eyes are watering no, I'm yeah. like this is terrible finally peel it off my skin is so red and puffy oh I was like God. this is the worst thing I've oh, ever no. done but I will say that the next day my skin has never looked or felt better wow so, wow mine is a two-part if you have sensitive skin my self-care tip is do not ever use a peelable mask. Yep. If you don't have sensitive skin, my self-care tip is use that peelable <laughs> mask because my skin looked amazing. <laughs> okay, I love it. I love it. And my prepare tip is to train your dog. You know, being a dog owner is a wonderful thing. I assume. I've never had a dog. My little niece and nephew dog are little. They're huge. They're big, um, but they're cute. Is, it's like a pit bull in a lab. And they are they're just so the sweetest cute. things. I love them to death. I see them several times a week. They are my babies. Yeah. You know, adorable. Yep. But you have to take ownership of your dogs. You yep. have to be responsible for your dogs. You have to make sure that your dogs are trained, especially if you do have a big dog. Not to get into the whole debate on breeds or whatever. Sure. You know, I'm yeah. not qualified to know enough about that. But if yep. you have a big dog, they can do big damage. So yep. train your dog. Take care of your dog. Take responsibility. Do what you have to do to make sure that your dog, it's, it's beneficial to your dog as well as to the public. Yeah. Be a responsible pet owner. Be a responsible pet owner. Okay. Soakers, we'll leave it here for today. Tune in with us next week to hear another tale of true crime. Until then, self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. Bye. Bye. Body Parts merch, snag your shirts, mugs, fanny packs, towels, and more at bathandbodypartspodcast.com slash merch. If you'd like to support the show and get access to VIP perks like ad-free content, early access to episodes, and extra episodes each month, along with special segments and exclusive merch, including the Bath and Body Parts Bath Bomb, you can become a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber on our Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash bathandbodyparts to get started.